0: We are continuing on. Uh, we just finished the section of the Sermon uh, of the Mount where Jesus has been showing a group of so called law keepers or law abiding citizens, maybe we would like to call them, um, that, that weren't doing quite as well as they thought they were doing. And I think we all tend to overestimate our abilities in this area. I know, I know I certainly do. Most people think they're doing a pretty good job of pleasing God in the way that they live their lives and the way they conduct themselves. And if we ever get concerned that we're not doing a very good job, you can always find somebody that's doing worse than you and just focus on them for a minute. And then you feel good about yourself again and everything's copacetic. There you, there you go. Um, Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth and to wake us up from our self-deception and, and to challenge us in these areas. So he uses God's perfect law to graciously show us that, that we actually fall much shorter than we think we do. The law works like a, a reality mirror. That's kind of a terrifying thing, isn't it? A reality mirror. He he holds it up to us to show us our true condition, what we actually look like before God. Not what we think we look like, but what we really look like. And this this mirror, you know, it it doesn't allow us to compare us to to other people. It makes us compare ourselves to God's holy, righteous standard. And it not only shows us what's happening on the outside, you know, the stuff that everybody sees, our actions and things like that, but but it actually shows us what's going on on the inside as well. Our motives, our hard attitudes, all of these things that we kind of hope nobody can see. That, that's what this does. Nobody really likes to see this kind of truth because it, it will lead us quickly to despair. When I know how short I fall of God's standard, um, I, I despair. But that's kind of the point. That's, that's why Jesus is doing this. So that we'll realize we have a great need for him. And that we will flee to him for grace and be saved. So we cannot be righteous enough, but he can. We cannot keep the law perfectly, but he can. We cannot please God, but he can. So we need him desperately. On a scale from 1 to 10, your desperation level is an 11. We we don't think that way. I meet people sometimes who are like, you know, I pray, yeah, maybe a 5. I need him a little bit. No, you are desperate for him whether you realize it or not. And the good news is that when we come to him by faith, believing what he's accomplished for us on the cross, he will give us his righteousness free of charge. I can't stress what a good deal that is. I was just watching there this week in my feed to Amazon Prime deal days were popping up all the, And it's like, leave me alone. I don't want to buy any of your stuff. But, you know, we always look for a good deal. This is the best deal going. Free righteousness for you from him. That's the best thing going. So this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 6. And some of you might be thinking, oh, I'm so glad we're, we're done with all of this reality mirror business. I'm tired of focusing all of the bad stuff I do. Let's, let's talk about the good things that I do, like, like praying and giving and the things that will make me feel good about myself again. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The, the good news is that Jesus is changing his focus. He's been showing us that we are worse than we think we are when it comes to the bad things we do. But now he's going to kind of show us the other side of the coin. He's going to show us that when it comes to the good things we do, we're also not as good as we think we are doing this. So, you know, glad you came. Um, he's going to do this by showing us three very important pillars that, that existed in the Jewish culture. And, and these pillars were things that they used to kind of, they were like pillars of piety. Giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. These were ways you could measure how good you were doing as a person. And these these same pillars exist in the church today. We still see all of these things um, active things that we do. And we like to use these things to gauge how good of a Christian we are. If we do a lot of praying and giving and fasting, we're better Christians. And if we if we neglect those things, we're not very good Christians. We, this is the way we think. The more we do these things, the more our perceived holiness increases, like a, like a thermometer goes up and just fills up more and more. So it's easy to convince ourselves and the people around us of this reality, you know, that we're really holy people, if we excel in these areas. But in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to kind of drill down into what they were doing, what they hoped to gain from it, and why He had a problem with it. And then He's going to show us that there's actually a right way to do this, a way that will please God. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So he starts out with this warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. Now this might sound odd, based on the fact that just a few minutes ago in this sermon, for us it was you know a couple chapters or a chapter ago, but he just said, "Let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." So you see the problem here. What, which is it, Jesus? Do you want us to let other people see our good works, or do you want us to keep them secret? What's going on here? Well, this immediately moves us to motive, and so why are we wanting to do these good works? And we we key in on the words of Jesus just a little bit more closely in verse one. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. See the motive? He isn't saying that we should never be seen giving to the needy. He's saying we shouldn't give to the needy in order to be seen. You see the difference? One is all about God's glory and one is all about your glory. And this is what they were doing wrong. They found a way to look holy by pretending to do something that pleases God to accomplish their goal of making themselves look good in front of other people. So it's that idea of, you know, wow, look at that guy. Check him out. Look at the way he prays. Look at how he fasts. Look at the way he gives. What an awesome individual. So impressive. This is what was going on. And as Jesus said, since that's kind of what you were going for, that's the, the praise you were wanting praise for men congratulations, you've received your reward. You got what you wanted, and that's all you're getting. Now, that idea of getting a pat on the back from the people around us, um, you know, it, it sounds kind of tempting and exciting, but but when you really think about it, it's like, you know, whoopee, good good for you. What, what are they really getting? They're getting something that isn't really all that important, and they're getting something that actually isn't gonna last very long. I, I remember when our kids were in 4-H, they used to, um, their animals in for these different things every year. And every year, no matter how they did, they always got this little ribbon. It was a participation ribbon. And they would get home and they would throw it in the garbage. It was like, everybody gets one of those. These mean nothing. This is kind of what I feel like this is. It's not that exciting. It's even less exciting when you stop to think about who these people are that, that you're wanting praise from. Why does their opinion matter so much? Is it really that important? It's like when they give out those... Emmys and Oscars at these awards presentations. It's a group of largely insignificant people who give out trophies to people pretending um, when they're, you know, that's what they are. Actors, they they, they do that. That's their reward. Somebody you don't know gives you praise. You know, that's not that exciting when you really think of it. God's praise should be far more exciting to us than that. His acceptance should be far more worthy than that. So our good works do matter. We should let our, our light shine before men. Jesus isn't contradicting himself on what he says there, but we just need to make sure we give credit where credit's due. One commentator asks this revealing question, are you a mirror or are you a sponge? <laughs> right? A mirror reflects the praise back to God where it belongs. A sponge soaks it all up for themselves. So the point is this, be righteous, but be careful. Ask yourself, whose glory is it for? If we're not Carol, careful, Carol, if we're not Carol, I'm not. If we're not careful, or Carol, uh, we can use the righteousness in our lives as a way for personal gain, which amounts to hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus is addressing here in, in the way that they were giving to the less fortunate among them. So, verse 2, he says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. Blowing trumpets, was a way to ensure that all the focus was on you and what you were doing. And they actually did have ceremonies where they would blow trumpets during fasting, festival, things like that. But, but it would be kind of like if we, if we had a little kazoo on a string out there to the offering box so that every time you went over there to put your gift in, you could just you know, blow that thing and make sure everybody was, you know, make sure everybody looking? Everybody see me? Okay, here we go. And drop it in. That would, be, um, that would be kind of weird, but that's what he's describing. It's easy to understand why Jesus would have a problem with this. He uses the word hypocrisy. Um, so he's making it very clear it's possible to appear to be righteous when you're not righteous at all. They were pretending to honor God. They were pretending they cared about the poor. They were pretending to be generous. And really they were only thinking about themselves. It's kind of gross when you, when you see it that way, right? Jesus describes them this way in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain do they worship me? Vain worship. It shouldn't be that way. Their worship and their acts of righteousness they were doing, they were pointless. They meant nothing to God. It only served to benefit them. And that's what a hypocrite is. People pretending to be something they're not. And that bothers us too. I don't know um, if you you know, if you've ever heard people talk like church, they almost always say it's full of hypocrites. You probably all heard that. And I've of now people, If there's studies saying that the reason people are leaving the churches is because churches are filled with inauthentic and fake people. Um, This is a bigger deal than it used to be because nowadays, I don't know if you're aware of it, but being true to yourself or being your true self is kind of the highest virtue today. The idea of being fake or being inauthentic is, is just something we can't do. Now we can all think of examples, I'm sure, of people pretending to be devoted to God, when they really aren't. Um, it's kind of a—it's a blight. It's an embarrassment to Christianity when we see this happen. When there's an outspoken, self-righteous person claiming to be a follower of Christ, but just as they're an impostor, they're only using it for personal gain. Um, the, a man named Sinclair Ferguson, who's who wrote a commentary on this, he points out that in ancient dramas, actors did not wear makeup; they wore masks. And, and that, these masks represented the, whatever part they were playing. And it's a vivid picture of the hypocrite. They pretend to be one thing, but all the time they're, they're really something completely different. And I don't know about you, but in churches for a long time, I think we're all used to this, this idea of mask wearing. Um, I, I've, I've been in churches for a long time, and, and this is the first one that I've been in where you don't have to do that. It's kind of a weird thing. Most churches you go into, you you put a mask on that, that makes you look like you're okay, and that your family's okay, and that nothing's going on here at all, and and this is kind of the way we do things. So I, if this is kind of what you've been used to, I have some I have some great news for you. You can take it off. You don't have to pretend, and I, I love that about this church. Um, none of us have our stuff completely together. I don't know. Maybe if you do, congratulations. But but. We don't have to fake it till we make it. I think that's been a, a, an idea in the church for a long time. If you don't have it together, just pretend like you do and hope nobody notices. And then maybe at some point you will and it'll—you know nobody will find you out. One of the biggest ways for us to combat the accusation of hypocrisy in the church is to stop pretending like we're righteous when we clearly are not. And to be clear, I'm talking about self-righteousness here. I, I, we have to ask the question, where does our righteousness come from? Um I would say, you know, what's the answer to that question? Where does your righteousness come from? Jesus, 100% Jesus. I, I hope we all understand that. Uh, so that, that means that if you see any righteousness, righteousness in me, you don't have to guess where it came from. It didn't originate with me, it came from someone else. I can't take credit for it, I can't boast in it. With Jesus, I am fully righteous. Without Jesus, I am fully unrighteous. That's the deal. Jesus is the difference. And we would do well to make sure that, that all of these people that are calling us hypocrites understand that. We don't have to pretend to be righteous. Um, we're trusting in Jesus' righteousness, that he's clothed us in his righteousness. And and that's why we're righteous before God. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. And even though positionally we are righteous before God right now as Christians, practically we, we kind of know the problem, don't we? <laughs> Practically, I'm not very righteous sometimes. Positionally, yes, hundred percent. God sees me as holy and blameless because I'm clothed in His Son's righteousness. But when you look at me, you see the old nature still pop up. You still see things come up, come into my life that shouldn't. Jesus is transforming us through this process of sanctification. But it is a process we're, we're, we should be coming more and more and more holy, more and more practically righteous um, as we go on. One day, this is going to like we're going to have this thing where the chocolate and the peanut butter come together in heaven. The practical righteousness and the positional righteousness, you know, it all happens. And it's going to be a great day. I don't know why I compare that to a Reese's, but I really like Reese's. Uh, They're they're pretty good. But we don't have to pretend like it's already happened right now. It hasn't yet. We aren't fooling anyone either, by the way, when we pretend to be righteous. I don't know if, if you've ever noticed that person that acts like they don't sin. It's not very convincing if you hang around them for very long. We all... You know, will be found out pretty quickly. And you know how refreshing it is when somebody actually admits their brokenness? When, when, when you can be honest? It's funny because a lot of pastors don't do this from the pulpit. Uh, they're afraid, I think, that the congregation will stop coming if they pull the curtain too far back and, and let you kind of see. We're pretty honest up here. We, we try to tell you we're, we're in this together with you guys. We're still in process. We're not, we're not perfect people. But when you can admit your brokenness, it creates an environment of safety. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to pretend. It's okay to to you know, to be honest about who you really are and what's really going on. And that creates an environment where other people feel safe to do the same thing. Now, now don't misunderstand me. The point isn't so good about our brokenness and feel good about our sin. That's not that's not what we're going for. It's to know that you're not a freak. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times in churches I felt like, am I the only one that's, I'm a weirdo. The rest of these people have it all together, and I'm the freak. And I didn't want to be found out because I was afraid to be like, you know, they'd point at you and be like, oh, get him. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. But that was the pressure that we put on ourselves. Pastors have this pressure put on themselves more than anybody. They have to be perfect, and their kids have to be perfect, and their wife has to be perfect. And I can't imagine that kind of pressure. Isn't it just easier to be honest? It should be. So admit your sin, but don't treat it like it isn't a big deal. We should hate our sin. It should bother us. You know, there's an old saying that that kill sin or it will be killing you. That's true. There's nothing about sin that we should be comfortable with. We should despise it. The church should be filled with people who love holiness and who earnestly desire to be righteous and not people who just want to be perceived as righteous. (laughs) What good is that? And it should also be filled with people who are working together to push one another towards Jesus and to push one another towards holiness, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to call each other out when we need to in a loving and humble way. And then when an accuser comes in, whether it's somebody from outside the church or, or even Satan himself, and, and points out the sin they see in us, we don't have to pretend like it's not there. We don't have to, we, we, get, to, we get to point them to Jesus and say, He's my advocate, He's my intercessor. We can agree with him and say, you're right, I, I, am, I am a sinner. I don't possess any righteousness of my own, but he gave me his. And so I'm good. I'm good in that department, not because of me, but because of him. What relief that is, that we have this from him. Okay, so Jesus was upset with these guys because they were being hypocrites in order to gain the praise of men. And once again, it's easy for us to, to look at that and be harder on them than, than we would be on ourselves. Like, those guys are terrible. I can't believe they did that. They were blowing trumpets, really? Well, wait a second. We do this kind of stuff too, we just may not recognize it. So how, so why do we do this? Why is it such a big deal for us to be seen and esteemed by others? Why do we crave the praise of men? Why are we, are we willing to promote ourselves in such an obvious and desperate way? You know, it comes down to a desire that we have to be admired, to be liked, and to be rewarded for who we are and for what we do. That's why we do it. Um, there's something very ironic about the fact that we can even use something like giving to the poor, giving to those in need, to benefit ourselves. I mean, that's kind of, kind of, kind of gross. Hey, I'll, I'll take care of the needy, but I really am. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it to build myself up. And, and really, that makes us more needy than them, quite frankly. A good test test of our our motivation is to ask ourselves, would I still do if I didn't get any credit and if it went unnoticed? Would I still give? Would I still be willing to do that thing? It's kind of like, have you ever gone to a a restaurant or a a place where you're ordering food at the counter and they have the tip jar up there next to the cash register and you've you've got the money ready to go into the tip jar and you're about to put it in and they turn around? It's like, well, I can't put it in now. I mean, what good is that going to do? I won't get any credit for it. You have to kind of wait and to pretend to do something until they, they turn around. Because if you're not seen doing it, it, does, it, does, it even, does it even count? <laughs> how are people supposed to see how awesome I am if they don't see my good deeds? You know, How are they going to praise me if they can't see how how radical I am with this stuff? That's what Jesus is describing here. People who give to get. That's why they're doing it. I heard something... Uh, somebody was talking about this this thing the other day, and I'm not making light of it because it's probably a real thing. But whenever I hear about these things, I, I I look into them. It's called narcissistic personality disorder. It's a real thing, and this is this is um I looked it up to find out what it was, and much to my chagrin, I, I think I have it. So, um, it's this is how it's described. Okay, it's a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance a deep need for attention and admiration. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Um, Most of us want people to like us. And we're bothered when they don't. Most of us want to have people to have a good view of us. And and, and the tendency is for us to, to stoop to do anything and everything to make sure that that happens. That's, that's not a good plan. You know, if you need some, some incentive in the area of not worrying about what people think about you, if you want some help with this, I've got this great Spurgeon quote that's, that's always kind of um, knocked me right down into my place. So brace yourself for impact. Here it is. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> it's like, yeah, true, you're welcome. The idea that we will be loved and lauded by everyone is simply an unrealistic notion. That's not going to happen, but that doesn't stop us from it, because we all have a little narcissism going on in us. That's part of part of the fallen human condition, is for us to be this way. And we're living in a time is promoted. I don't know if you guys see it like I do, but the idea of self-love and self-care and self-acceptance these are the priorities that take take place or you know over everything else this is what you need to be all about and and the, and the crazy thing is like second timothy 3 warns us that in the last days there will come times of great difficulty and the thing he puts at the top of the list the reason that he gives that people will be lovers of self we don't we don't even think of it that way times of great difficulty are coming why because people will be lovers of self and It's not a virtue. It's a problem. We see it as the greatest virtue. I need to learn to love myself. I need to learn. This is a problem. When people love themselves more than anything and anyone else, you know what we start to see? Exactly what we see in our society today. People that put themselves first and everybody else last. And it's disgusting. I mean, you can just look around at all the stuff that's bothering us right now. You can put it right back to this problem right here, I think. And social media has provided the perfect laboratory for this monster to to thrive and grow in. Because it, it provides a platform for this, this self-importance to be on display. This thing we crave, we can just always, you know, you can, you can document the whole day. You know, this is what happened when I woke up. This is what I ate. This is what I did. This is who I was with. This is how I help people. I mean, you can just imagine the Pharisees, if they would have had social media. They're going to give to somebody that's needy, and they're like you know, giving to the needy, um, you know, trumpet blowing, you know, it's like, hey, hashtag helping the homeless. You could picture this would be on their feed. This is what they would do. Or they would live stream their 10 day fast, you know, day six, I'm feeling really hungry. I don't know what to do. You know, they would do this. This is what we do now. They just didn't have social media. So they found a way to do it differently. You know, that's entertainment. That's that's why we, we tune in, I guess. But this is basically, sadly, what my social media feed looks like most of the time. It's just, it's just people kind of self-promoting. Even the fact that, and I'm sorry, I've taken a selfie, so I'll just admit, I've taken a selfie before. But the fact that selfies are a thing just, just kind of reinforces. It says it all. A selfie. You know, you're just, you, got, you, don't, you can't even bother to have somebody else take a picture of you. It's like, I can do it. Anyway, they even make sticks for this kind of stuff. Weird. Constantly seeking approval from others is very dangerous and it's very exhausting. And I'll just be honest and say that one of the reasons that I I post very little on social media is because of how fragile I am in this regard. The idea that I would post something and and, and I wouldn't get 20 people that liked it or that I would get a thumbs down, just the idea is devastating to me. It would ruin my day. I mean, how pathetic is that? But that's true, that's the way I am. Can you imagine a teenager in their formative years Having this pressure put on them, that's exactly what they deal with every day. It's terrible because they're seeking the approval, the acceptance, the love from outside. You know, praise God for Jacques. He likes every one of our videos on, uh, that we put out as a church. I mean, everyone is like, you are my hero, Jacques. I mean, you, you keep me afloat. I, I need that thumbs up. So thank you, brother. This kind of self-focus and self-reliance on others is dangerous. And here's the truth. Here's the thing that just blows my mind. The more I focus on myself, the more depressed I am, hands down. The more I focus on the needs of others, the happier I am. The more I serve self, the more miserable and lonely I become. The more I serve others, the more fulfilled and satisfied I am. That doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be that way. But this is why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Sounds backwards, doesn't it? But it's true. Giving and expecting nothing in return, no strings attached, is one of the greatest feelings you can experience. I mean, you've all had that moment where you just selflessly did something unexpected for somebody else. Gave them. They they didn't see coming. And and the the reaction and the way it made you feel and the way it made them feel, there's not much better than that. And this is really, you know, this idea of an expression of love by doing this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He gave himself for us. And then in in Philippians 2, he talks about, Paul talks about what what this is supposed to look like for the Christian. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That that does away with most of social media stuff right there. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, those are important, but, but don't just look to those. But also to the interests of others, and have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was willing to put himself second for the benefit of us. He became a servant for the benefit of us. There's greater reward in doing this than, than there is in anything else that we're you know we've been talking about. It's contrary to what the world teaches, and it might not make sense to our flesh, but it really does work. It also doesn't help that right now the church is out there. Um, are using this very thing that Jesus was angry about to grow their churches. This idea of, of endless self-promotion over gospel promotion. Uh, it's funny how churches do this. They, they, they try to win every other Christian in town to their church through their social media campaigns and stuff like this. It's very strange, quite frankly. And you have to ask it somewhere, whose fame is this for? Who are we trying to make famous here? Is this about you guys or is this about Jesus? And then they teach... Even worse than that, not all these churches, but the prosperity churches especially, teach that if you give, God must reward you. He will be forced to bless you if you give. He has no choice. And they've turned it into some kind of a sick business investment where you get the payout. Like God's some kind of a, I don't know, it's it's terrible. You end up with people who don't want God, they're just using Him to get His stuff. And the Bible just, just so you know, so we're clear, that's not Christianity. The Bible calls that idolatry. It's a sin. It's not good. So this all comes down to the important question of whose praise do you want? Now I'm going to read two verses, and I want you to, to think about which of these verses describe you. first one is John 12, 43. Jesus said, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's one person. And then Paul in Galatians 1:10. Said, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He key, keys in on a really important truth here. A true servant of Christ will find it very hard, if not impossible, to please man. <laughs> And if pleasing man is your goal, by the way, I certainly wouldn't recommend Christianity. (laughs) There's way better ways to to please people out there than than Christianity. Um, And we're seeing this happen in the church right now. That's why I'm bringing it up. We're seeing so many people right now that are more concerned about what the world thinks than about what God thinks. And it's causing them to compromise in so many areas. And and I'm watching this kind of take place in front of me. And it's scary. Jesus told us how the world would feel about us if we followed him, didn't he? How would they treat us if we followed him? Exactly like they treated him. That's what we should expect. So when you give, do it to please your father. Do it because it makes him happy, not to gain something, but but because it's just an act of worship. God has given us so much that response should be just second nature to us to want to give back to him in in any way we can. A great question to ask yourself when it comes to giving is this. Am I doing this for man's approval or am I doing it to please God? Would I still do this if no one ever found out or if I never got credit for it? Your father seeing you do it should be enough. So Jesus has illustrated the wrong way to give. What's the right way to give to those in need? First, I would just say this. Don't ever forget that you are poor and needy. I don't think we always remember that. Don't forget how poor and needy you are. Jesus helped you in your need. He came to you in your poorness and in your neediness, and He helped you. And if we forget that, we'll we'll begin to lack compassion for other people that we consider poor and needy. Jesus, again, in another parable, describes two different people who uh, one didn't see His need at all, and one saw it very clearly. Luke 18, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray.'" One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector, which I got to believe the tax collector could do you know was like I, I can hear you, you know I'm right here. He didn't care even like this guy, even like this scumbag kind of idea. And then listen to what he says. remember the three pillars prayer that's what he's doing right now, fasting and giving right? He's he's praying to God, he says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. See, he's doing it all. Impressive, right? Let's look at the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted again which person describes you if you see yourself as a needy sinner whom god has had mercy on it won't be much of a stretch to have compassion on other people who are poor and needy around you it won't seem like charity like no I'm, you know in my goodness and my greatness and my wealth i'm going to i'm going to give to these it won't seem like that it'll just it'll look like one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread that's what we're doing and for those of us who are recipients of god's amazing grace and mercy It makes sense that the same attitude of grace and mercy should flow out of us to others, especially the least among us. We should have a heart for them, just the same way Jesus did. If we've been given much, how much is expected? Much, right? Have we been given much in this country? So much. So much. So we should give generously, but we should also give secretly. That's what Jesus says in verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may given secret. That's a weird thing, isn't it? Like these, it's hard to think, you know, how do I not, because they're connected to the same body, the same brains here. Um, he's using hyperbole here, but he's contrasting this idea with, with the idea of blowing a trumpet to get everyone's attention. So the point is this, we're not to let other people know about our giving and we should try to hide it from ourselves as well. Don't, don't play that record over and over in your head about your, your awesome giving because we can do that, you know. Remember that time when you gave that big gift? Yeah, that was awesome, man. It's like high five, you know, because we right hand. Don't do that, right? That would be weird anyway. But um, we should we should be kind of unconscious in the way that we give. We shouldn't we shouldn't be be aware of it, because what what'll happen is we'll end up leading to self righteousness if we focus on it. And and he he wants us to avoid that. The reason we don't need to tell anyone, by the way, including ourselves, about about our awesome giving and all of this is because none of the credit belongs to us anyway. I mean, do you understand that? If we have stuff to give, where did it come from? Him. If we have a desire to give, where did it come from? (laughs) God. I mean, why would we even think we could take credit for this? But we do. John Stott says this, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. So that's good. We're not supposed to, you know, when they, when I always love the, the people with the big checks. And this is so funny to me. It's like when they give, they get the, the largest check they can find. Two people have to hold it. Like, check us out. Look what we did. Don't be a big check person, right? Do it, do it quietly. And I'll just tell you that we purposefully tried to build in secrecy, the opportunity for you to obey this command into the way we give here at the church. If you ever wondered why we do it the way we do it, you have to hunt down the box. Uh, we have people more so at the other location. I think they, is there, if we wanted to give, is there a way we could do that? Yeah, there's boxes. You just have to find them. We don't pass the plate. We don't hand out kazoo's. You know, trumpets would be cool. It's like every time you, the passing the plate thing. When you think about it, it I don't know how they read this and do that, honestly. But the, the cool thing is, we don't talk about giving. We don't harp on people because of the abuses in the church about it. But guess what happens here? The Lord provides. The Lord provides through you guys, not only financially for the church, but but the, the way you guys provide for each other blows our minds, and I, I we're just grateful for it. But we don't we don't want to know who gives. Uh, we only have one person who knows who gives, and it's Tammy. She's she's the one that takes care of all that for both locations. We know how much money comes in. We see all that. We see that kind of stuff, but we don't know who gives, and we do that on purpose because we want to be able to shepherd you. In, in a right way, and we want you to be able to shape in a right way. That's weird, but, but the idea is if we know who gives, we might, if doesn't give, we might treat you weird. If somebody gives a lot, we might be tempted to go, oh, we need to take care of that person. We need to keep them happy. And if you're the kind of person that gives a lot and we know it, well, you could be, well, you better keep me happy. You better do what I want. If I say I want something, you make sure it happens or else, you know, all of that's a race. We don't, we don't know. So we want you to be good stewards, but it's between you and the Lord. We want you to give cheerfully, but it's between you and the Lord. We're grateful for your sacrificial giving. It's an amazing thing. It's an important part of the Christian life. We should literally be the most generous people on the planet, hands down, because of what God has freely given us. And I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. He expects that. He expects that this is something we will do. And even though he is encouraging secrecy in giving, he isn't encouraging secrecy in your Christianity. <laughs> Remember, he says, "Let your light shine before men." That's an important thing. I think some people want to be just secret Christians, just shh, don't tell anybody. That's not that's not what he's talking about here at all. Just make sure the spotlight is on the real star of the show, and not on you. When people see the good we do, we want to make sure that that we're not eclipsing you know, him in some way. And I think we we tend to do that sometimes. Get out of the way of your good deeds so they can see where they actually are coming from. They can can come, you know, be a mirror, not a sponge, right? Well, he ends this section with a promise of reward, which is kind of crazy when you think about all that God has already given us and all that he's already done for us. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to reward you guys. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. We don't have to blow trumpets. We don't have to tell others for it to count because it says God sees. He knows. So the question really comes down to whose reward do you want? Do you want the kind of the instant gratification of a temporary reward from somebody whose opinion really doesn't matter that much? Or do you want the blessing of eternal reward, reward from the God who made you and whose good opinion should count more than all the praises that any man could ever give you in the world. And what will this reward be, you might ask? I don't know for sure, but, but it might just be that we get God forever. I mean, think about that. We re- it was one of the things we read, God is my portion. He's what I get. I don't know what you know other people's portion is, but my portion, I get God forever. And that's enough. We have it all if we have him. Amen? Father, we just thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount, what we learn about giving, what we learn about praise and acceptance. Lord, the fact that you know us through and through, the good, bad, and the ugly, and that you still love us and want something to do with us should blow our minds every day. And it should create in us a gratitude and a a desire to tell others about who we know and what you've done for us, and and that it would cause generosity in us. So help us to be the kind of people, Lord, that... um, that, that kind of give with no strings attached because you did that for us. Thank you so much for giving us, Jesus. Thank you for giving us our sins. Thank you that we don't have to be the kind of people that are that are hypocrites. We know that bothers you, and it bothers us too. Um, thank you that, that you are saving us. You've saved us, you are saving us, and you will save us. Uh, that a day comes when all of this will be behind us when we stand in your kingdom. We look forward to that day, and we pray that Jesus would come soon. Amen.